0: Accessing Agent Files Brian Sovereign Early 21st Century Anarchist Creator and host of the podcast Sovereign Check. By the year 2021, the show would be instrumental in the downfall of various conservative ideologies in the
1: government Helping usher in an incredible time
0: Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side? and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now here's Brian. Brian
1: the golden stallion here for you boy do you love that new intro how about that (laughs) get ready for a whole lot of new things with episode 75 uh really really put in that the producer and i of course the lovely and hyper intelligent dr stephanie murphy put in a lot of work uh, on, on making this sound really really good and let me know what you think if you have any thoughts on it uh you know, don't hesitate to, to to share those with me, Sovereign Tech at RiseUp.net. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't. I have so many new listeners. Glad to have all of you here. Um, I have so many new listeners. A lot of people don't know the way that I record Sovereign Tech. It's actually, it's all run off of a template. So I'm kind of running a live show, but it's just not live airing anywhere. And so I may have to tweak the length of you know of each segment okay because we have slightly different segments now they're they just kind of have different names really uh so i might have to tweak with that a little bit so uh your your sensibilities or <laughs> or what you've gotten used to with sovereign tech uh will be changing a little bit and also you know something else a lot of people don't realize is that when i'm on you know i do a lot of a lot of different audio work free talk live uh, I do, you know, of course, sovereign tech and I do sex and science hour. Uh, a lot, I don't think a lot of people know I, I do these things, you know, with no notes. I do these things with no, really no computer in front of me other than to read the exact story that I'm sharing with you. And generally it's a Chromebook that's in front of me. So it's not like I have 20 billion apps or 20, you know, million, uh, uh, tabs, I should say not apps open in front of me to where you could even. You know, I, I couldn't. I couldn't have all these things ready to go. The, this this computer is just far too slow. I love my Chromebook. It's just far too slow. But maybe we'll talk about Chromebooks a little bit more later on. Let's get into the rapid-fire stories. And then we've got a really, really interesting, uh, kind of shocking main story. So rapid-fire stories, WikiLeaks, they were teasing this for some time that uh, that apparently... Through the Snowden revelations, there's a series of countries that where pretty much any kind of metadata coming out of these countries was being recorded by the NSA. One of them being the Bahamas, according to Glenn Greenwald and in the Intercept. But uh, and, and there's a, a couple others a little bit different. But, you know, from this report, not necessarily where it was all being recorded. Uh, but then there was one that the Intercept refused to reveal they wouldn't say who it was out of fear for lives of people around the world. Now, believe me, I don't ever want anyone to die ever for really any reason. Uh, But I, I got to admit that I thought this was awfully strange and so did WikiLeaks. And so WikiLeaks said, well, if you won't tell everybody who this other, this other country is, we will. And Assange did just that. He told, on March 23rd, actually, at 2.36 a.m., I think that's Eastern, he tw- they tweeted out that State X, that being the mystery country that Greenwald would not reveal, was actually Afghanistan. Every single piece of data, essentially, all the phone records, whatever, coming out of Afghanistan is being recorded by the NSA. Now, I'm sure a lot of people aren't shocked by this. It's Afghanistan. But isn't isn't that like aren't we kind of done there? I guess not. Uh, You know, I mean, I I feel bad, actually, because I really don't see I mean, WikiLeaks, I think, stands true in that when they make the claim, we have no evidence that anyone has ever died from any of the uh, information released by WikiLeaks. I think that's an accurate statement. OK, and I did The Intercept, Glenn Greenwald's and the head of eBay's uh, new uh, or the, maybe I should say the creator of eBay uh, new you know, news venture that they have going on. Uh, I said, you know, I, I did it for website of the week. And I'll admit and I tweeted this this week. I'll admit I feel bad that I did it for website of the week because now they're getting to the point to where they know they think they know what's best for the world. And I I really, you know, I can't I can't agree with that. And it does raise the question of exactly, you know, some people were saying, well, they released the Snowden revelations. uh, They time them and space them out. That way, every time the government says, oh, that one's not true, then they can release another document that says, oh, you know, you're lying again and all that. But I'm starting to wonder if some of these things like this one should have been released. Pretty quickly, Uh, there's a lot of these that I think. There should not have been some kind of timestamp on. They should have came out right away. Uh, and, and and it does, you know, Snowden said all this stuff, it just keeps getting worse. And and man, I just can't imagine how much worse it's it's going to get. Uh, I, I I really can't. And I know this is supposed to this stuff's supposed to get released over the next two years. But if WikiLeaks, and I mean, now some people are saying WikiLeaks doesn't actually know that it's Afghanistan, that they're just guessing, you know, they're making a a guesstimation, an educated guess. Uh, but I, I don't know. This is all just so, so nuts. I really, I'm to the point where I wish they just let it all loose. Forget the two year timetable, just let it all loose, but, uh, whatever. They're, they're probably not going to let that fly. Uh, speaking of something that is flying, uh, there was a crowd kind of antiquated satellite uh, idea that succeeded. And in fact, it got more. It was won in one hundred twenty-five thousand. They got one hundred sixty thousand to uh, to take over control of the ISEE three. This is a satellite from like back in the seventies that was used for uh solar winds but this this is a satellite with an interesting story and it's it's amazing how much this thing gets repurposed since it's from you know way back when uh because what was who's the guy uh Foucault? Farquhar whatever uh, yeah, I, I can't remember exactly, but he actually commandeered, I remember back in the 80s, this guy, not that I would remember exactly from the 80s, but I remember reading about it, that this guy actually commandeered the ISEE3 to go grab data on a couple of comets. He literally hacked, and we're going to talk about the word hack later in the episode, but he literally hacked into this thing took it from nasa essentially which nasa finally decommissioned it in 97 it's just sitting up there doing nothing so i'm glad somebody crowdfunded to get it to do something and uh, and got a bunch of data on uh you know on the on these comets one of them being Haley's comet and yeah i think he actually got some kind of a commendation from from president reagan amazingly uh <laughs> so but now it's supposedly going to go around and get some pictures of the moon that should be very very interesting To see what kind of data it grabs from the moon, since this is being done by what is known as citizen scientists, not by people that actually work for NASA looking forward to that. So I I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, We mentioned eBay. We mentioned the uh, well, the founder of eBay just a few minutes ago. But eBay, oh, boy, they got hacked. They didn't just get hacked. They got hacked earlier this year, 2014. They got hacked a good couple months ago, telling everybody to change their passwords. Supposedly credit card information, all that stuff is stored elsewhere. PayPal wasn't in danger. But, you know, I couldn't help but crack the joke when I read it. I said, it's like, well, you know, (laughs) because everybody's everybody's dying. It's like, oh, when when is PayPal going to take Bitcoin? Please take Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin. I think PayPal would be bad for Bitcoin, quite frankly. You know, most people think the other way around. Oh, that, you know, pay, uh, Bitcoin would be good for PayPal, uh, you, you know, or that PayPal would be good for Bitcoin. No, I, I think I think it'd be a bad, bad, bad thing. Uh, we don't <laughs> we don't want people trusting a lot of this legacy security stuff to them. No way. So anyway, if you haven't changed your password yet, please do change your password. They They had a nice big banner. I saw it like. The next day on, on my eBay account, there is a yellow banner saying, please change your password. So go, go to it if, if you haven't already. Uh, secret, this is pretty wild. Secret is now out for Android. If you don't know what secret is, secret is it's one of those apps that unfortunately really only works very well if you live in a metropolitan area. And honestly, you know, and this is a topic I want to talk about at length at some point. Where so many of the new technologies and so many of the great services that are offered mean nothing outside of New York City, L.A. and San Francisco. Or maybe a few other larger cities, but, you know, maybe 10 cities where, you know, any of this stuff means shit. You have no idea, actually, how (laughs) like I have to filter through so much tech news crap uh, every week. Because it's something that just doesn't mean anything to me at all. Some of them are very good ideas, admittedly. Some of them are atrocious ideas. I've talked about startup culture plenty of times on this show. Uh, but some of them are pretty good. And it's just like, oh well, this means nothing. It's never going to come to New Hampshire. Or even if I lived, you know, if I was back in upstate New York. Oh no, this is never coming here. Forget about it. Fuck it. So anyway, but Secret is pretty cool. It does have an explore feature, so you can look beyond your actual quote unquote circles uh, you know, that you already have in secret. Is it's an anonymous messaging, like almost an anonymous bulletin board to some degree bulletin. I mean, like a literal bulletin board, uh, not not like a BBS system. Okay, Uh, and, you know, you just you're anonymous and you put up whatever you want and whoever's in your contacts can kind of see it and you don't know who put it up there. But in actually in California, this is really popular because a lot of people are finding out a lot of tech rumors because somebody because they're anonymous is just going to put that out there on secret. So check it out if you haven't. I actually I think it's a lot of fun because people think that they're anonymous, and for what it is, they they pretty much are. Uh, a lot of people, boy, it's like it's like reading a, an issue of confessions. I mean, there's just so much secret shit that people are. That's why they call it secret, right? That people are sharing and and putting out there. And boy, I hope I gotta say with 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 secret. For I, you know, now it's out for Android It was already out for iOS for some time. Uh, I hope the NSA is running this and I hope someday they just flip the switch and everybody can see what everybody said. And I hope everybody realizes just how fucking freaky everybody is. I say that all the time, but really, (laughs) I I hope that happens. Um, Anyway, uh, let's see what other news we have. Pavel Durov, he is officially completely out of VK out of VK. Uh, I VK.com, the social network service that's popular in Europe and Asia. Uh, I already warned about this, I believe, on website of the week a little while back saying, look, Pavel Durov's a solid guy. He's an anarchist. He's the real deal. Triple black wearing man of the east. Okay, he's he's the real thing. He, (laughs) you know, he's not involved with VK, so don't mess. I wouldn't recommend messing with it. Uh, He is still involved with Telegram, which we're going to talk about that during listener email. Uh, so, you know, get in, get interested in that. But with the, with the social network thing, he is going to apparently build his own. He is going to build another one. And I hope that it has a, a shit ton of privacy features because this is, you know, that that's Pavel Durov's you know, area of interest is anonymity and privacy and screwing with governments. And I love him for it. So hopefully that goes well. Uh, last bit of news is CryptoKit was removed from the Chrome store. Uh, from Chrome, well, from your Chrome browser, and it was removed from the Chrome store, It just instantaneously ripped up. If you want to hear my thoughts more on that, I did mention I talk about it on Sovereign Tech, but we ended up talking about it on Sex and Science Hour. I gave my thoughts there on that in the last episode. What is it, episode 15 or whatever? The most recent one. If you want to find out more about that, please go check that out. My, but I can just really succinctly say, regardless of why it happened, how it happened, whatever, the fact that Google was able to just instantaneously disable this extension, one that had money writing on it, especially, uh, is is pretty creepy. You know that that's 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 kind of kind of terrifying, and it does make you perhaps want to look into other browsers. Can other browsers do that? Maybe, and we just don't know it. OK, but uh, yeah, that that was the real takeaway from for me. And hey, like I said, yeah, I mean, I use a Chromebook. I'm I'm a fan. We'll get into that maybe a little bit more in the episode later on in in, in this episode. Uh, but let's get into while we're talking about Google and perhaps some creepiness. There was a at Disrupt. That's uh, Disrupt. I think that that's yeah, that's TechCrunch's kind of conference that they have Uh Astro Teller, who is sort of the head of Google X, there's a few different people that are kind of the head there. He had some interesting comments to make and uh, TechCrunch released a story as with the headline, the head of Google X reveals its anti-technology mission statement. Astro Teller gave a keynote to disrupt New York to talk about what he's doing. He is the head of Google's forward looking innovation lab, Google X. The team is responsible for self-driving cars, Project Loon, Google Glass, and more. And his message was very different from what you'd expect. According to Teller, the truly innovative projects should become perfectly transparent in our lives. He started off his keynote by talking about car brakes and ABS systems. When you put your foot on the brake of the car, you're not actually activating the brakes. It's just an interface. You are actually making a request to a robot. That is a wonderful uh, wonderful technology moment. We don't have to mess with it. We just say... Uh, here's what we want. He said, when technology reaches the level of invisibility in our lives, that's our ultimate goal. It vanishes, vanishes, vanishes into our lives. It says you don't have to do the work. I'll do the work. Yet when you talk about technology today, you talk about smartphones, laptops and smartwatches. According to Teller, human attention is one of the most important things right now. But technology doesn't help at all. It distracts us. It interrupts Our lives, the absolute irony of somebody at Google saying that, (laughs) you know, that 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 is that we have an attention span problem Uh, and especially someone with Google Glass. Now, he's going to address that. But uh, but that's ridiculous for someone at Google to be making that comment. Phones would not be better if they could be cooler looking, if they could weigh less or if they could have more battery. Phones would be better if we didn't have to carry them around, he said. That's why Google X is taking a contrarian approach. In some ways, the team has an anti-technology way of thinking. Technology has to become more efficient so that it can fade away in the background. We're excited about technology, uh, how technology can be used to get technology out of the way, Teller said. Most of us have to spend a lot of energy to learn how to drive a car. Then we have to spend the rest of our lives over concentrating as we drive and text and eat a burrito and put on makeup. As a result, 30,000 people die every year in a car accident in the U S as Google X is working on self-driving cars. Teller believes that there is no way back. Every car will soon be entirely automated. We're going to look back and wonder why we had to microcontrol our cars. Then the talk shifted toward wearable technology. Many believe that gadgets like Google, Google glass, will make us more distracted, not less. In Teller's own words, what's the moonshot? In an ideal world, you don't have to fight with the user interface. The only time you notice it is when it's gone, Teller said. It makes us feel more human instead of less human. Google X is all about discovering what the future will look like, and we're still far away from this ideal world of transparent technology. According to Teller, we've just failed so far to get technology to its higher purpose, which is to get technology out of the way. Woo doggy. I could not disagree more uh, with anything. (laughs) The fact that you want technology out of the way, in my opinion, okay, great. The interface is out of the way. You're not supposed, but I mean, pay attention to what Astro is saying. Okay. You want the interface to be out of the way. And you don't even want to have the phone so that you can hold it. That's a lack of control. Oh, yes, that's wonderful that you could control things without an interface and that you don't have to have a little black uh, rectangle in your back pocket or whatever. Sure, that all sounds fantastic. uh, But then where exactly who is in control of the technology that my anti interface is interfacing with? Google? The people that can remove CryptoKit, the people that can eliminate my ability to access my personal wealth in bitcoins, yes, you are able to re-access the bitcoins. I know that. I know. I know the official. I know the official story. (laughs) Okay, but sorry. One of the beauties of technology. One of the reasons that a lot of people were excited about. You know, the 20th century, this is almost cliche to say, but let's say it. The 20th century has seen leaps and bounds in technology that the world has just never seen as far as we know, as far as we know. And with that in mind, the reason it was able to develop, I think, so fast is because people saw how these things would empower them, but not they didn't see them just as how they would empower them. But they saw that they had control of the matter. Okay, it's one thing. To be empowered it 's another thing to be empowered, but have someone else with with the uh, you know with the the puppet strings and that 's my concern if you can 't work on your device okay or if yeah, you can say, well, not everybody can be a, a you know a programmer can be a hacker, not everybody can you know knows how to work on hardware no but you should be able to go to just about anybody else. You shouldn't have to just go to Google to be able to repair it. Yes, there's a division of labor. Okay. But this isn't the division of labor. This is straight up centralization. I don't think Google is interested in you being able to work on your stuff. I mean, this is something I mentioned that, you know, I even talked about it on Google plus with some people. Oh, the irony that the, This was this was a disgusting sales pitch on Astro Teller's part. He was trying to make Google Glass sound like it's something that we want. Okay, he was trying to make the driverless car thing. And please believe me, I can dig the driverless car thing now. As soon as I came to the realization uh, that, you know, that would essentially defund or that that has the potential to defund police departments en masse. Sign me up for the driverless cars. Okay. But he's trying to make it sound like driverless cars are a good thing that we just, we want technology out of the way and we just do what we do. I can't help. And fine. Call me a control freak, which would be kind of ridiculous because I'm an anarchist. Okay. But if the technology's out of the way, what do you do when it breaks? Again, where is it? Who has control of this technology? I don't trust Google. I don't, th- especially after what happened with CryptoKit, I don't think anybody should trust Google. And yet, that's exactly what I think they're asking for. They're not looking for other companies to do it. Any company that is coming up with this remove, with this anti interface, I coined that term, anybody that's coming up with this anti interface, they buy up. Now, maybe the startup company that came up with the anti interface, you know, design themselves to get bought out by Google. That's entirely possible and ridiculous, but they are buying people up. So it's not like there's no competition here. Okay. (laughs) There's not even that. And we talked about a few episodes, how Google in particular, is basing everything they do not necessarily on new ideas but okay how do we copy science fiction you know i think it's fair i think it's really fair to say that google is trying to create the star trek universe i think apple was trying to do the same thing too uh google just seems to have found out a better path to that don't believe me about apple Watch the D5 conference. Watch the uh, the interview that Walt Mossberg has with, or the the stage show that Walt Mossberg has with Steve Jobs and uh, and Bill Gates. And Steve Jobs just says, "Oh man, just give me Star Trek. Look at the new Star Trek movies. If that's not an Apple slash Google designed bridge, I've never seen one." So anyway. Yeah, they're they're trying. They're trying to be Star Trek. They're trying to, you know, trying to bring on that future. But who says that's the right way to go? You know, there's not a lot of out of the box thinking going here. Driverless cars. Oh, yeah. Demolition Man. They just copied Demolition Man. The movie with, with Stallone and Snipes. Yeah, I, I don't I don't feel it. And it's particularly when you look into, you know, Google has they have a, a, an entire VC division, uh, venture capitalists, of course. And if you go to there's a website I want you to check out, it's google.com slash ideas, I believe. And you're going to see some I think you're going to see some kind of some creepy stuff. Um, there is a Google now. I mean, some of them sound pretty good, like uh What's the one? There, there's UProxy, proxy, which is effectively almost a Tor. It's a little bit different in that you can share it with other, you know, with other people. But you know, just use Tor, right? Why why can't Google just get on board with Tor and, and give? I mean, the Tor project needs the money. Please give it to them. So, uh, yeah, they're even. They have another program, Constitute, on here, uh, and Constitute is all about how to help. You know, these these second world, third world countries create legal systems. Okay, there's a failure for you. Uh, Let's see what else we have. Small arms and ammunition data visualization. Yeah, they're tracking the movement of weapons. Why the hell is Google doing that? Uh, Digital attack map. They're tracking wars, human trafficking hotline, all this stuff. And a lot of it just sounds really nice. You know, like there's Project Shield, which is their, you know, essentially their software for blocking DDoS attacks, which is clearly pretty, uh, you know, pretty impressive. Um, But then there's ones like the investigative dashboard. And a lot of these things are all for law enforcement. It's all to, you know, help them out. And that that's where things get weird because I mean, aren't you just a search company? Are you the government? So I can't help. Boy, I I just, when I hear Astro Teller saying, no, look, yeah, you want to get the technology out of the way. Okay. You know, I could almost be, I could almost be hip with the idea of, Hey, let's, you know, be a little anti-technology. I'd like that attitude to be in Google, but that's really not what it is. And in fact, I almost feel like that's a sales pitch on TechCrunch's part for them to say, oh, yeah, Google has kind of this anti-technology message. And no, that's not what it is at all. You know, to say that things are a distraction, look, the screen of my cell phone, of my smartphone is not the distraction. Facebook is the distraction. And, you, you know, and even Google Plus is the distraction. Twitter's the distraction. All these different things are the distraction. Do you think they're going to stop that? You think they're going to stop notifications from appearing in the corner of your eye? No, he's full of crap when he says, oh, yes, yeah, so it's all this distraction. No, it's not. The interfaces themselves are not the distraction. The distraction is, you know, a lot of these forms of communication that maybe we as humans just weren't designed to engage in. I worry, boy, I worry. And, and Google X, and he didn't even reveal his hand. I, I talked about this, boy, a lot of episodes ago, where one of the heads of Google X, she said that smartwatches, tablets, all this stuff was boring and that, you know, what they are developing at Google X, you can't even really necessarily imagine. And now on one hand, I'm like, OK, well, good. So maybe you're getting out of only inventing what's in science fiction mode. On the other hand, there's still governments. That, you know, could could exploit that because they're certainly exploiting the fact that we all have smartphones. They would certainly exploit driverless cars and stop them, you know, because you're not in control of it. It's all running on Android and they just had uh, there's rumors going around some leaks of what an Android interface looks like inside of a car. So that's happening. A lot of these ideas, you know, I mean, if you want to do them, do them. I think they'd be interesting. But when you have people that have the monopoly use of force, which that's the definition of government, according to President Obama, it becomes scary. And when they're not being transparent, which Google's not, Google is not, stop, Google is not transparent. For them to be pushing for a world that is, ah, I got to wonder Is Google trying to take over the world, literally? Is that good or bad? I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech.
2: We're on the brink of a global finance paradigm shift. And at the core of this movement, Bitcoin. But many early adopters need a safe, stable, and secure method of storing Bitcoin that doesn't require an electronic device. Enter CryptoCards, the world's first BIP38 passphrase-encrypted, laser-edged aluminum offline wallets. CryptoCards are the same size as a credit card, only they're scratch-resistant, waterproof, and flame-resistant up to 600 degrees. Unlike paper wallets, they won't ever rip, fade, or crumple, and the high-density aluminum is rated to last 75 years. Your coins will be secure for as long as you need having bitcoin physically allows you to store them in a secure location instead of on a networked computer this is key your funds will be impervious to hacks and the negligence of third parties it's a truly trustless system you hold the keys you hold the funds for more info visit cryptocards.co we ship worldwide and using the code ftl you'll save 10 percent we're proud to be part of a liberty-oriented movement and the future is looking bright
1: Hello, mister. Sovereign. Brianson, And yours?
0: Natalia. Care to play a game of roulette? I'd love to. Number and color.
1: 69. Black. As you wish. Tech roulette. It is time for Tech roulette. Ooh, boy. <laughs> uh, again, if... Tell me what you like about the, about the new format. Uh, It's just going to keep rolling throughout the episode. So uh, now this is tech roulette. Of course, tech roulette is the area where you can send stories to me and I will talk about them. Now, if you have topics and things like or questions, that's what I've changed it to important email. It's not just called listener email anymore. And you can certainly, you know, send there, but if you have like a physical story that you, or if you have a full on story that you want me to really respond to in particular, I do it during Tech Roulette. I just go eeny meeny miny mo, and I I pick one out and I've got a couple of beauties and I feel bad because it seems I'm getting the sense and I don't always plan these things and I didn't this time, but I'm getting the sense that this episode may be kind of a downer. I'm going to try and get through. We have extra time for Tech Roulette now. okay? because we eliminated game talk. And so I'm going to try and get through a couple stories because I've gotten so many stories and and a lot of them just there's no point in even talking about them anymore. But I want to get to the stories that you want to hear about. And so I added a lot more time to Tech Roulette. So we might get through two stories. Maybe we won't. But the first one here is from io9, a drug that could destroy political movements. As neuroengineering becomes a reality, scientists are grappling with the ethics of changing people's perceptions and feelings, especially when it comes to love. We're on the cusp of anti-love drugs that could help people recover from bad love affairs. What could go wrong? A lot. Over at New York Magazine, Mia Shovitz Shalvitz terrible has a thoughtful essay inspired by a new collection of scientific papers in the American journal of bioethics that tackle the question of anti-love biotechnology. She writes that we may be on the cusp of drugs that could change people's brain chemistry enough to help them get away from abusive relationships. In fact, the main therapeutic use for anti-love drugs would be making it easier for people to distance themselves from abusive partners whom they love, despite all their problems. You know, before I go further, this the subject of bioethics comes up a lot on sovereign tech and clearly a lot of people talk about it there's the american journal of bioethics quite frankly none of these and i have looked at some of these papers never ever ever do they say government is unethical never do they say the state is unethical or that wars are unethical they never say it and so quite frankly they might as well, in my opinion, toss their bioethics out the fucking door. There's there's no point. How are you being ethical when, at the very base level, you can't get those key things about human freedom? What ethics exactly are you telling people about? Is it ethics like, well, you can take, uh, you know, two c- 20 cc's of this and not 40. Come on. Anyway, reading on another possible use for these drugs would be helping people who are needy and clingy with their loved ones. Perhaps by dialing down the intensity of their romantic feelings, these people might be able to feel less jealous or abandoned when their partners are away. Indeed, it seems that Prozac already works this way now, at least for some people. One side effect of the drug can be divorce, often caused when people taking the antidepressants say they no longer have any feelings for their husbands or wives. But the potential harm uh, potential for harm is both tremendous and tremendously weird. Anti love drugs could be used to cure to quote unquote cure homosexuality in cultures where being gay is taboo or illegal. Another concern is that these drugs could be used to wreck the bonds of trust in friendship networks, especially if those networks are subversive in some way uh writes uh, Selavitsa boy i hope i got that right imagine families being able to inoculate their teens against crushes to improve academic performance oh yes we don't want these human beings that just happen to be 14 or 15 or 16 falling in love do we no or spouses Forcing the drug on their partners to end affairs, or even governments breaking up social networks of dissidents by chemically alienating them, which would be an interesting counterpoint to the US military's wacky research into a gay bomb that would make enemy soldiers irresistible to each other. The dystopian potential seems endless and the gay bomb, or what is known as the libido bomb is absolutely true. DARPA was working on that. Uh, if you want to read more about some of the wacky shit that DARPA has, has ever done, uh, Ray Kurzweil's book, the singularity is near came out in 2005 talks heavily about the gay bomb and about sensor dust and all this other wild, uh, wild stuff. And while, while certainly <laughs> Okay, I want the world to run rampant with lust at times. Uh, The idea of a of a gay bomb for the military is terrifying. For now, however, this possibility is remote. Psychiatrist Larry Young is skeptical that we could ever have a true anti-love drug because love depends as much on memories as it does on chemicals in the brain. He suspects that drugs could never be specific enough to be useful in dealing with an emotion so intense, so connected to personal memories. I think a bond of love is a combination of the effects of oxytocin with the cues of the partner and dopamine and maybe natural brain opioids. All of these things work together. He says it would be impossible to make a drug that would block lock a specific bond because there is no single molecule that is involved in love per se. He says, I think you have to think of chemistry in combination with connectivity. In other words, love rewires your brain and that rewiring is specific to your own particular love story. So changing the chemistry after the fact can't remove loving memories and the circuits they have woven uh, that could have, that could would take an eternal sunshine, like memory erasing process. Okay. So I, by and large, agree with uh, with Larry Young here that this is probably not going to happen. But that's fine. I'm glad that, that these kind of things are, are not going to happen. Um, I also agree with him that there is a connectivity issue, not just a chemical issue. Uh, I don't think we, again, I've said it many times, we don't have a full understanding of consciousness. We don't have a full understanding of what allows for Uh, So many things in the human experience. It's not God, but we don't have an understanding. Okay, (laughs) not a complete one. Anyway, we have an idea. But regardless of whether or not this is possible, the fact remains that there are people that think that this is a good idea. I'm not going to get into like, you know, the whole thing. Well, get negative people out of your life, blah, 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 you know, and, and all that kind of stuff that whatever. OK, that's that's totally up to you. But there is an overall human experience. OK, and unfortunately, and I as a hedonist, you know, this might sound ironic. Uh, unfortunately, you know, sometimes these pains are part of that. And you just, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of, uh, in start was a Star Trek five where Kirk says, I don't want you to take away my pain. I need my pain. And I'm not saying pain's a good thing. Okay. But I do have to ask the question of what exactly does a person who never experiences it grow up to be like? That's not an argument for spanking or anything along those lines. Please believe me. I'm just talking about, you know, emotional experiences that these people are trying to erase. They're trying to control the human condition, the human experience. And that's creepy. That's really creepy. Now I'm not sure exactly. They say it could destroy political movements. There is nothing in the article that talks about really political movements at all. So I, I don't, quite understand that, uh, other than they might want to shut. I mean, I could certainly see how this would get used for political movements. It's like, no, no, no. Here, take this pill. You'll be docile. You'll be fine. Again, this is another thing where, hey, okay, yeah, the pain of losing someone, the pain of of falling out of a fantastic relationship for whatever reasons, because, you know, look, there's times in life and everybody's life where everything bad that can happen will happen. It happens. It happens to everybody. Literally. I mean that that's that's I, I forget which law that is, but that everything that can happen will happen. And at some point, Murphy's yeah. Law. Is that Murphy's law? Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Is that's, that Murphy's law? Murphy's law is that, is that Dr. Know. Stephanie Murphy's law? <laughs> Sometimes it feels like it is. <laughs> <laughs> so but it happens. Okay? And to want to just, you know, I get it that you may not want to remember those things, but here's the problem. Who's in control of passing out this drug? Who's in control of making it? Who's in control? Not you. What happens when a government makes this mandatory? What do you mean? Oh, governments wouldn't make this mandatory. No, of course not. They wouldn't make it mandatory for Jews to go to camps. They wouldn't make it mandatory for the Japanese to have to go inside an internment camp. They wouldn't do that. We're so far beyond that. That only happened 50 years ago. I'm interested in these things getting studied to some degree, but I'm scared when people think that they, you know, that somehow it's a good idea. No one's exploring saying, Hey, Maybe we shouldn't be looking into how to solve everything by drugs because this is what they do. Maybe we should look into how exactly, you know, what brought this person to this point. Is there something in their childhood that brought them here? I I I think that's an important question to ask. No, drugs don't solve everything and it's really kind of uh, disparaging That the modern medical industry seems to want to solve everything by a drug and there is no discussion whatsoever of trying to, you know, of of looking into, wait a minute, what is society? What are parents, what are uh, militaries, whatever doing to people that could be bringing them to, you know, to these painful moments or whatever? I'm, I'm okay with figuring out how to keep people from having so many painful experiences in their life but let's get to the root of let's get to the root cause. Let's not try to keep putting a band-aid over everything. And that's really what drugs in a lot of ways are, you know, I mean, yes, there's ones that are absolutely life-saving. I'm not, not talking about that. I hope you know me better. Anyway, let's, let's shift gears here and maybe talk about something that I suppose has the potential to be pretty terrible, but uh, I, I think it actually sounds pretty cool and it's really something that answers one of the one of the really tough. People have been trying for a long time, OK, we we a few episodes ago, we, we talked about perpetual motion and things like that. One of the things that since you can't do perpetual motion that some people have tried to use as a model to solve the energy crisis or, you know, to, sol- to make energy cheaper or whatever, is to somehow copy photosynthesis. And that seems to have somewhat happened uh, and and it's weird because RT, like, treats it as a sort of creepy thing, saying, oh, this was inspired by the Terminator. And I'm guessing they meant more like the T-1000 uh, than, than the T-101 or the T-800, right? Uh, the world took one significant step closer to inventing a real-life cybernetic organism as U.S. scientists, inspired by the Terminator movie, combined organic matter with semiconductors in a process that replicates plants' transformation of light into fuel. Holy shit. The breakthrough is quite significant, scientists at universities in Michigan and Pittsburgh believe. Their blend of a chemical used in solar panels and a plant protein that acts during photosynthesis recreate the process that allows plants to turn sunlight into fuel. Human endeavors to transform the energy of sunlight into biofuels using either artificial materials or whole organisms have low efficiency, Nicholas Kodoff uh, at the University of Michigan Said, but what he and his peers have accomplished with their bionic approach is a true step forward as it combines two of the most important features of its components the strength of inorganic materials, which convert light into electronic energy, with biological molecules whose chemical attributes bring those mechanical processes to life. The components are respectively cadmium telluride, a whole bunch of. Go to the show notes, cybertech.com, check it out. The nanoparticles and molecules function together by exchanging electrons. And since the closer the two are, the better. The research team decided to combine the two with a single organism with the ability to act on its own and create particles that turn themselves into superparticles with their own functions. We merged biological and inorganic in a way that leverages the, uh, the attributes of both to get something better than either alone. During an experiment, the scientists turned the pollutant nitrate into nitrite and oxygen, proving that bionic particles could harness sunlight to drive chemical reactions. They believe that the particle, which took a beating from the handling, from handling the energy, may be able to renew itself, just like the plants do. For now, the scientists are looking to achieve the conversion of carbon dioxide and water into natural gas, which would result in in a larger part of the modern energy infrastructure working with no net carbon emissions. However, their discovery has a potential of truly sci-fi proportions and may eventually bring some of humanity's dreams and nightmares to life. These design principles can be used to guide future designs for other bionic systems, starting from the primary building blocks of biological organisms and inorganic machines, Kodov said. It is very possible that Terminator of the Future would need to be constructed starting from such building blocks. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I love it when they, they bring out the Terminator, but it's important to bring out, you know, I mean, th- that's the beauty of science fiction. We're going to talk about that more later too. The beauty of science fiction is that it can, even though it may not be the best predictor all the time, it can uh, explore some of the more interesting social issues uh, that are to come. So, but this is incredible. One step closer to recreating the process of photosynthesis. And this is really, this is new, 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 new news. And this is something that I want to see happen. Now, of course, they get into the no carbon emissions thing. I recognize, okay, that a lot of, a lot of listeners of this show, a lot of like my, say more my core audience, libertarians, are not fans of the word green technology, and things of that nature. I, I don't like the word. I don't like the word green technology. And generally just like with a lot of different uh, terms like feminism, if the state is included in it, it instantly becomes anathema. Okay. And unfortunately, a lot of these terms have the state wrapped up with it, like carbon emissions. As Soon as you hear carbon emissions, you instantly think the government Okay. as soon as you think feminism, you instantly think a bunch of women wanting to pass laws that turn men into almost literal dogs. Right. Okay. But please understand, I, I make sure that it is it now it's at the very opening of the show. I am an anarchist. I wish no state actions. I wish no existence of any state or any hierarchies anywhere. Okay. we good. All right. So the idea of creating efficient energy production in this way by copying nature. This is, if you listen to the made safe special with David Irvin, he was saying, David was saying how you copy what's in nature and, you know, and you'll be fine. And that's what made safe does. Absolutely. It does. Okay. Copying this form of energy production and this form of self healing is technology. I can really get behind. Okay. Because, you know, again, now the state can use it to create Terminators, right? <laughs> of course, I'm not behind that one. But this this kind of, uh, you know, d- development happening, I see no problem with this technology because I mean, and, and we need to look into this stuff. There is deal with it. I'm not talking about peak oil, but just deal with the fact that for whatever reason, we're not using thorium as nuclear energy, OK, and for whatever reason, we're still burning up all these, you know, limit, very, very limited resources that we are not bothering to take the time to replicate in labs. OK, and so we need to find these alternatives that do not require the amount, the, the amount of usage of various commodities. Uh, Well, not just commodities, but, you know, materials, whatever that we know are so limited we have to come up with this stuff and not just to quote unquote save the earth if you listen to my my uh, top 8 uh, nonfiction books i talked about the rare earth theory okay not just to save the earth because the earth may be an incredibly precious jewel that doesn't exist far else you know may not exist much of elsewhere in the universe okay but just for the simple efficiency of perhaps one, i mean Most of my listeners, as far as I know, and I've gotten your emails, you're looking to to head out to space. Well, in space, you do not want to be relying on something that burns a shit ton of energy. You want efficient technologies. And this is one of the clearest steps for that to happen. All it requires is sunlight to, to do its reactions, just like a plant. And it heals itself, too. Amazing. You want these efficiencies. okay? And that's really what green technology, the people that genuinely care about it, that's really what they're saying is they want efficiency, not even necessarily recyclability. They just want efficiency. Okay, uh, proof of stake. How about that, da- Daniel Larimer? Proof of stake. We'll take this to Bitcoin or to cryptocurrencies, to blockchain technology. Proof of stake has a great sales pitch in the fact that proof of work is an absolute waste of resources, and it's true. And Dan Larimer, he's a capitalist as much as anybody can be. And he's telling you, it's a waste. Don't do it. That's what this is all about, is efficiency. And this is exciting technology. If you want me to talk more about green tech, send me an email. We'll, we'll talk more about it in the future. But I love this. I'll be back with more. Hey, Brian,
0: what's that funny sticker over your laptop webcam? I was trying to spy on you while you were in the shower, but now I can't.
1: See, that's why I have it. And it's from EFF.org.
0: EFF, what's that?
1: It's the electronic frontier foundation totally donor funded organization that fights for internet freedom privacy
0: wow that sounds great so eff.org i support internet freedom and privacy and maybe you do too
1: yeah and you can support them with bitcoin
0: the electronic frontier foundation at eff.org you're a lucky man mr sovereign not many win so well at the game of chance
1: that's because it's not a game of chance, Natalia. It's a game of choice.
0: <laughs> game
1: of choice. It is time for Game of Choice, which is really just a rebranded Game Talk. Uh, and Or not Game Talk, but Game of the Week. And like I said, we eliminated Game Talk, uh, but I wanted to keep Game of the Week because I still like to talk about video games. And when something's coming out or something already came out or something's really... Maybe it's an ancient (laughs) game in the gaming world, you know, what's that 30, 30 years or so. And amazingly, yeah, it's, it's been that long. (laughs) Um, It actually, it's been longer, you know, if you consider computer wars and all that other stuff. Um, I, I like to bring up games that maybe went under the radar, maybe something that's coming up or, you know, whatever, just, just to talk about that hot game that's happening right now. Or maybe it's what I'm playing right now, you know, and this one, this game for our game of choice is something that is coming, but it really should have already came. And the reason I say that and I talked about it was that I announced this is back in January. I said, yeah, Interceptor, which is Interceptor Entertainment, which is the company that actually uh, did Rise of the Triad and in uh, Shadow Warrior, both great re-releases. They said February 25th, 2014, we're coming out of the Duke Nukem game. And I was just, what? You know, where <laughs> there's a new Duke Nukem coming out? You know, I could barely contain myself. And then it turned out that, uh, you know, Gearbox, essentially, Gearbox Software, who kind of, quote unquote, holds the rights to Duke Nukem. There's all this stuff is way up in legal mumbo jumbo, uh, legal limbo, I should say, not mumbo. It is mumbo jumbo. And, uh, and they said, no, you can't do it. And so suddenly, you know, out of nowhere, Interceptor says, well, we're actually going to release this game, an ARPG, which is an action RPG, which is what the new Duke Nukem game is supposed to be. And we're calling it Bombshell. And our main character is Shelly Bombshell Harrison. And it is this, you know, she she's kind of a cyborg, definitely has the air of a female version of Duke Nukem, essentially. And there's a trailer available to watch for this game. It's not going to come out till well into 2015, if not later. And, uh, you know, an action RPG, those don't necessarily really exist yet. And so, you know, what, how do you compare it? You know, it's just, it's an RPG with, you know, faster action. It's maybe not so turn-based, you know? And, uh, and I, I think that's, that's a pretty cool style. And I like, I actually, I like the cheesiness of this, of this whole presentation. I do wonder, I question with Bombshell coming out. A, why is it taking so long for it to come out if this was actually based off of a reskinning effectively of what was a Duke Nukem game? I, I don't have an answer to that. I, do, I don't know. You would think that that changing, you know, that essentially reskinning everything would actually be today, especially a pretty simple process. So not sure what's going on there unless they're using some kind of whole new engine that I don't know about. And maybe that's so. But so I question at the same time is that did they even have a Duke Nukem game or were they just trying to stir up some controversy? Because, hey, I mean, that's what that's what great marketers do, right? But the thing that may lend it to the to the credence that there is actually that that there was a Duke Nukem game is that when you watch the trailer for uh, for Bombshell, she gets on a motorcycle. She does a whole lot of very Duke Nukem ish things, and it doesn't necessarily look that natural. So maybe they already had the trailer made and they just reskin the trailer and and put Shelly on it. You know, she's kind of a tank girl character. If you know, tank girl, the movie from the from the 90s. And that was a comic, right? So I don't know. It looks great. I, everything really that Interceptor has done as of late, including Rise of the Remake of Rise of the Triad and the remake of Shadow Warrior, were fantastic. I really I would have paid good money to see what they could have done with Duke Nukem, uh, who is, you know, a character from the same era as the last two games that I mentioned. But, hey, I, you know, if they're going to come out with their own little franchise and, you know, save them all the legal troubles, then OK, let's let's do that. <laughs> whatever, as much as I would have liked Duke Nukem. So keep an eye out for it. It's going to be a while before it actually does come out. But uh, as far as I know, they're not doing any kind of Kickstarter. This is something they're all doing completely on on their own, wherever they get the money from, to do rehashes of these absolute classics and do them so well. I don't know. But Bombshell with Shelley Bombshell Harrison instead of Duke Nukem. I'll take it. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech.
0: Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul.
3: You almost never see the word clitoris on the covers of women's magazines. Instead, they'll often use the term G-spot as if it's some sort of less embarrassing sexual code and every woman has one. Well, the fact is, while every woman does have a clitoris, there is no such thing as an actual G-spot. Some women find that if a certain area around the roof of their vagina is stimulated, they can have orgasms that feel more intense or are different from orgasms that come from stimulating the clitoris alone. This is probably because they're stimulating at least three different areas at once, including the part of the clitoris that extends inside a woman's body and the tissue that's around her urethra and the nerves around part of her bladder. Now, while this can create a noticeable sensation in some women, Other women find it to be unpleasant or annoying. In fact, whether G-spot area stimulation does or doesn't feel good has nothing to do with how sexual a woman is. So you never want to say, my last girlfriend got off when I rubbed her G-spot, or you just haven't been with the right guy. Each woman is different. What works with one woman's genitals won't necessarily work for the next. You'll be way ahead if you ask and learn what each woman has to teach you about her own unique sexual anatomy.
0: For more, visit 90SecondsOnSex.com You are quite the man, Mr. Sovereign. Are
1: you busy tonight? (sighs) Natalia, if you'll excuse me, I uh, just received a very important email. Later then, Mr.
0: Sovereign. Important email.
1: It is time for important emails where, hey, your emails are important to me. So why not just call them important emails? <laughs> Listener emails work, too. But uh, if you noticed, I uh, I, I kind of have a running story going through the through the this the segments. So, again, let me know what you think about it. You can email me. Rise up. Uh, Sovereign tech at rise up net. And I added a lot of time to the email section to important emails because I get so many emails. I just never, ever, 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 ever get to them. So I thought, okay, let's do this. You know, let, let's, let's make it bigger. Uh, and here we go. So in <laughs> this way too, I actually get to read more of your emails and cause sometimes I'll just try and summarize them due to, you know, time constraints. But now, hopefully, we don't have so much in the way of time constraints. But the first email I want to get to uh, is actually, you know, uh, a person emailed me saying, hey, I don't know if you've talked about this before, but TextSecure is a phenomenal text messaging app, a phenomenal messaging app in general that is for Android. And it essentially, you know, allows you to encrypt your emails, you know, client side, end to end encryption. And it works. It just kind of, you know, wraps itself over your your messaging system that you already have. And it works really well. And I have I I have talked about Tech Secure in the past, but I really appreciate the listener emailing in. Uh, I don't expect everybody to, you know, we're 75 episodes in and almost 30 specials. I don't expect everybody to have heard every single minute of Sovereign Tech. And I think I worry that people like. Expect me to expect that out of them, please. I don't expect that out of you. Uh, and you can ask questions over and over again, because I mean, this, this show is going to be going on for a good long while, uh, you know, sovereign tech in general, not this episode, but, and, and with that, you know, we're going to recover things here and there. And so, and I think this is an important topic to discuss. I had other people ask me this pretty recently. So this one is kind of a wrap up in that, you know, what's a great messaging app. Now, if you heavily rely on text messaging, in particular, okay, then, you know, then yes, TechSecure is really the only animal of its kind that specifically allows you to use, you know, text your literal SMS messages and have them be uh, encrypted. Google Hangouts now on, on an Android device will, you know, will integrate SMS as well, okay? But it's not, obviously it's not encrypted. And as far as we know, there's no way to really encrypt it. Cyanogen mod, which is my, probably my favorite, you know, OS, my favorite, uh, uh, you know, modular OS that that's based off of Android is something that they have what's called WhisperSync, which allows for greater integration of tech secure. So that, you know, that's something to look into as well. Uh, if you're not tied down to your, you know, to, to your actual SMS messages, that opens up the playing field to to a whole slew of other options. And a lot of people will probably just say, well, I'll use Facebook Messenger. Uh, if you're going to use Facebook Messenger, you can still do encrypting with that. Just don't use the actual Facebook Messenger app. Please don't use the Facebook Messenger app. <laughs> Whatever you do, uh, I actually make it a point to not put Facebook other than Instagram. I don't put Facebook software or apps on my on my Android devices. Uh, what I'll use is actually from the. Not the same company that makes tech secure, but kind of in the same field, there's this, uh, it's called the Guardian Project, which which is all about anonymizing your apps on Android. They offer what's called Chat Secure. And with that, you can actually, again, this can't do any kind of SMS, but it can do Google Hangouts. Can't do the SMS end of it, though, that we talked about, but it can do Google Hangouts and it can also do, uh, it can do Facebook. It can do anything that's XMPP which is the protocol that, uh, you know, that, that Facebook Messenger works on. OK, not going to give voice calls over it or anything like, you know, or the video or anything like that. But if you're just, you know, if you use if you talk a lot on Facebook Messenger with your, you know, or if you text a lot, I should say, with Facebook Messenger on your Android device, that's the way to go. Other than that, if you're open to really being like, you know, outside of either of those systems, like, say, Google Hangouts, if you don't like that, which up until recently, it wasn't that great of an app. Or if you don't like Facebook at all, which rock on, you're great. I recommend Telegram. Okay, I've recommend this pretty recently, too, but I want to make sure this gets out. I want to make sure people get on this. Telegram is an is an app. It does use your phone number as its identifier. Okay, so it does, to some degree, require a phone. There's ways to work around that, but that's another story for another time. And Telegram is, some people question the, you know, how secure is it? And my answer to that generally is, is that there is some odd hundreds of thousands of dollars in bounty, in Bitcoin, in fact, to the person that can crack Telegram's encryption. Okay, so... You know, that putting your money where your mouth is like that, and Pavel Durov is doing that, okay, with, with Telegram, uh, is a pretty great thing. Now, it's also an app that will always be free. There may be at some point there will be some nice premium features to help pay for it, but there will not be ads. Uh, they, they've they made it very clear that that will not be part of their business model. Uh, it was not open source until recently. Now it is becoming open source, okay? So if you're concerned about that, that fact exists. Uh, it has an anarchist at the head of it, an anarcho-capitalist for that matter, okay? Uh, and it, the other nice thing about Telegram is that you have the option of there, like there's a website called Webogram that offers apps for your computer, you know, even Chromebook or in and just a, you know, a web interface to where you can talk through, uh, you know, through Telegram. And that's one of the key things for me because there's another app that's really great called Wicker, W-I-C-K-R, that I, is just as solid, I, or as far as I can tell, other than it not being open source, is just as solid as what Telegram is doing. And they can both do a lot of the same things where, like, the messages are timed. You can set a timer on them. Uh, you can send pictures and video and transfer files. That's really nice about Telegram. You can transfer a one gigabyte file. Jesus. <laughs> um. But Wicker doesn't have this nice web interface or these nice apps that you can download to where you can use it on something, say, with a full keyboard. Okay, and so that's really that's one of the areas where I feel Telegram shines. Now, Telegram offers just like TechSecure, okay, does not offer SMS integration, but it offers end to end encryption. That means the encryption gets done on the device. But with that if you use that there's it's called like secret chat and then there's just normal chat which gets encrypted server side okay with with the with the secret chat with the end-to-end encryption you you can't use your web interface or the apps you have to use the android device with the telegram telegram app on it to be able to do that okay so keep that in mind uh and server side I mean things look like you know they haven't been hacked so take that for what you will but if you really want end-to-end encryption it's available for you just keep in mind that that advantage of having a web interface or of having a computer interface and a pc interface in general uh, is will not be available to you end-to-end but it will be available server side okay so telegram is really that's about the best messaging app i think going out there Uh, and that's so that 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 answers that cuz I had a lot of people asking, "Hey, which one should I use?" And I did recommend wicker for a time and I I I still think wicker is solid. But uh Telegram, you can actually please feel free. You can add me on Telegram 6038528708. Okay? There's my phone number. <laughs> I don't care. Uh you know, has, don't don't hesitate to add me on Telegram. You can get in touch with me that way if you really want to. I I want people using this so bad. Uh let's move on to got a, a decently long email here, so I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I really appreciate the the emailer sending this. And I do keep you anonymous unless you want me to say who you are. Uh, and he said that after listening to a few podcasts, like Let's Talk Bitcoin as well as Sovereign Tech, he kind of, he, it made him think about something. And I'll, I'll get to, I'm just going to cut right to the chase on it. Uh, the universal point of failure for these disruptive technologies, now he's talking about uh pretty much any disruptive technology out there right now uh, but he did mention made safe and open garden okay uh is that is the ISP infrastructure the ISP is the internet service provider currently each and every bit of interaction i have with the internet travels directly between myself and a comcast server Every activity on tour, every bit of cryptocurrency transaction, every email and IRC message sent to arrange meetings, every bit of research on events like the Bundy Ranch incident. Uh, they are all dependent on Comcast good graces. If at any point the government decides to leverage its insurmountable weight with programs like Operation Chokepoint against the ISPs to, say, cut off service to individuals or regions, for whatever nefarious reasons, MadeSafe and Dark Wallet are rendered more a liability than an asset. Additionally, there there are workarounds that can be implemented at the ISP level that can drastically weaken the anonymity of programs like Tor. Now he's admitting that he's not all knowledgeable on these things. He's just asking a question. And good that's what we do here. We ask questions. I am in no way discounting the leaps and bounds that the crypto communities have made in acquiring freedom for the people. But I do have to ask why this particular issue has either been overlooked or disregarded by all these people who are so much more knowledgeable than I, I was hoping you may be able to address it on an episode of sovereign tech to either put my mind at ease or just call me crazy or to explore the, that aspect of the Liberty movement and technology. You most certainly don't have to read this whole rambling email. Well, I read a good chunk of it. All right. (laughs) Uh, And let's talk about this. This is a really important question and something I've been doing, uh, ironically, emailer. This is something I've been doing a lot of thinking about recently as well. And that's because I agree. I think the ISP is a central point of failure. In fact, the Internet in and of itself may be a central point of failure. Now, you have to be careful when you toss around terms like the Internet, okay? because there's, you know, there's the, the, the TCPIP protocol, you know, uh, yeah, I know I know what the letter P means in that, but just being clarifying here. You have the the Internet as we know it, the World Wide Web, WWW, you know, and, and everything that that runs off the DNS systems. And then you have the physical infrastructure itself, okay, as in the hard line, as in the Ethernet cables, as in the fiber running from place to place. OK, those are two actual different animals. OK, uh, and, and that's proven by the fact that you have in lots of major cities, you have entire dark nets, literal dark nets that are using unused fiber and Ethernet line, you know, whatever that whatever the line may be, whatever classification to transmit data between, you know, between activists or whatever else. And it's not touching the internet at all as we know it. So, so it's important to keep that in mind when you're, when you're talking to people, because a lot of people think the internet, they just, they think all these servers and all that. And certainly that's part of it. But I, I do think it's important to differentiate. Anyway, regardless, yes, the ISPs are, are somewhat of a central point of failure. Okay. The, the first central point of failure is actually the DNS system. Okay. Which is how you, Essentially, you know, you type in the address bar, I want to go to SovereignTech.com, and then you are taken there magically. That is the DNS system. That is a central point of failure because that is not controlled by the people. Okay, but that has changed with things like NameCoin and Next being able to, uh, and supposedly Ethereum can do this, though. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, th- those things can get, the-, the DNS system can be overtaken. Okay, to where it doesn't matter, it can be ignored, not overtaken, it can be ignored by well, I'll just go to a dot bit address instead of a dot com no big deal, okay, but then you still have the i s p s and yeah the i s p s can essentially cut off everything right? This is where open garden comes into play that you mentioned uh and this is kind of where i- i guess madesafe would would come into play though I'm curious exactly how Madesafe would work within this system um but the 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 problem with Open Garden allows for mesh networking, okay, and that's really the answer to this. And I think it's an area we actually need to be looking into going to, is mesh networking, okay? Because there's two ways you can solve these central points of failure. One is is to never have everything stored in one spot, which is sort of what Made Safe does, and the other is to not have everywhere, not be able to access everything from, you know, in one area. OK, and those are two different two different aspects. And so I'm far more interested in the idea of there being essentially decentralized internets. And yes, I put it I, I put an S at the end of that because I want multiple ones. OK, uh, made safe is with with the infrastructure that we have today. Made safe is really the solution. But yeah, you're, you could get cut off, you know, by by an ISP. That's, that's possible. Now, generally how, how ISPs will, will cut you off is based upon, usually it's, especially in the corporate environments, it's done by what's known as your Mac ID, which has nothing to do with Macintosh. And that is like the address that that's like the, the identifier of your computer. So, you know, if if they're going to cut that off, then your machine's not going to go anywhere. Now you can rewrite your Mac ID. Okay. And then you could theoretically get on. But then what if they're just cutting off, what if they're cutting off your, uh, you know, your modem itself? Well, it seems like, and if Google has its way uh and they're trying to do this, they want Wi-Fi pretty much everywhere. And so with that in mind, they can't cut off the actual device that is per- pushing out internet signal. Okay. So they're going to have, they're going to be writing off Mac IDs if what, you know, If the future that you're envisioning happens, that's how it's going to work is they're going to write off Mac IDs, but that's very simple to, to figure out. At least it's very simple with devices that we've had for the past 20 years. It may not be simple on devices over the next few years. And what I mean by that is that, you know, they're, they're locking down one's ability to do things like rewrite your Mac ID. Okay. You know, I I used to be able to rewrite Mac IDs on devices with a floppy disk that doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> so, still not not that complex uh, and I recommend looking into it. It's actually a pretty it it's kind of a hardware specific thing to to do, but uh but it's an interesting trick to have up your sleeve. Uh anyway, so your concern I think is kind of well founded and that's that's really why I think alternatives do need to be looked into alternatives to the internet now why is everybody just shutting off saying no this can't be no the internet's going to be fine i think part of that is that they feel that the internet is this incredibly resilient thing okay which granted we're differentiating we're not talking about the actual physical ethernet cord. we're talking about like you know the internet the World Wide web the dns system and all that people are talking about how this it's this indestructible monster i don't think it's an indestructible monster uh we already have We, I mean, and this isn't conspiracy theory anymore. Alex Jones was saying it for a long time, but then it came out. Uh, I think it's standard operations three Oh three. I think it's what it's called where it's a literal internet cutoff switch. And so again, this is just something that says, okay, we need mesh networking and mesh networking allows for people to create their own networks and to communicate with each other. Uh, we need to look more into perhaps storing locally. Now, again, MadeSafe love me. I love MadeSafe with all my heart. And that solves all the problems, you know, that, that we're talking about with the Internet as we know it today. And the Internet has a whole shit ton of problems. Make no mistake about it. OK, uh, we'll talk about that in a future episode. But if we're not going to rely on the Internet, then and, and I think it's important to look into these things. No, I so email. I don't think you're crazy at all. I think these are things worth Looking into Open Garden is actually a solution to that. Okay, uh, other there, there's other mesh networking uh, protocols and companies out there trying to trying to do things, and I think all of those are very much worthy of studying. The other one, and I, I've mentioned this before, that I am a huge fan of. Granted, you're not going to be transmitting YouTube videos, okay. But we're talking about a world perhaps where governments are being particularly more tyrannical, even though they already are, and they're shutting stuff down, is data packet radio, a technology that's been around for a long, long, long time. And you want to talk about something that will never be stopped. Radio will never be stopped. Uh, it's It's got, you know, the, the history of radio is the history of anything you could call civilization almost, uh, <laughs> you know, or modern, I should say modern society, not civilization. So this is an area where I think there, there needs to be serious exploration. Uh, new technology in the field has not been developed in probably 25 years. Uh, the last data packet radio modem, and it uses a modem just like, you know, 56K, you know, just like in, in, the, in the 90s when we were first getting on the Internet. Uh, the, the last one, the last new design, as far as I know, I think was like developed in 93. So this is something that deserves a lot of exploration because you're how are you going to stop that you know I've said it many times radio is the ultimate decentralized technology first and per well, maybe first and ultimate so we do need to we do need to look into these things you're not crazy I'll be back with more cyber tech hey, got an energy
2: spike Hold Bringing the Narn back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for
0: you. Then we heard it—the sound of something terrible being
2: born. This
1: is magic! Station three to Commander Ivanova.
0: Centauri have launched a full-scale assault.
1: Time is coming on. It's our turn now. Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall, where dreams are born and die, where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity, it is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Agent Sovereign, go to this web page and follow. What kind of web page is this? Is that Natalia? I better go to the website, website of the week. week. It is time for Website of the Week, where I cover websites that may be useful. Uh, sometimes, the, you know, they, they can blur the lines of... Yeah, is this really a website or is it software, right? Because so many things are cloud-based, like we were just talking about. Uh, Maybe things shouldn't be so cloud-based. Maybe we should be going local again and doing mesh networks. Maybe. Again, big maybe out there. I'm not saying, I'm not telling you what to do, but you do, you know, what you feel you you want to look into. So anyway. Uh, the website of the week this week, this is something I think is really, really cool uh, and useful. It's not perfect, but it is something that I recommend people do look into. And it's $1scan.com. Now, it's literally the number one and then dot scancom And what it is, it is, it's a book scanning service. And you can, you know, you can send them your book well, you know, your print book, and then they will turn it into whatever format you want, uh, you know, EPUB, Mobi, PDF, you know, you name it. Uh, and this is really, really slick. It even has uh, cloud integration now, as far as I understand. It's a business that's just growing. I, I absolutely love them. Uh, and they charge like a a dollar for every 300 pages, I think. So if you, the, the cheapest way to do this is if you have a bunch of books you want them to scan Send them all the books with a total page count. That way, you know, you don't get charged every couple of weeks for, well, I send a book that only had 330 pages and then you send one for, you know, that has another 360 pages the following week and it just keeps going. Try to try to bundle them and, and send them all at once. Uh, you will not get your books back if you do this. OK, you may consider that an imperfection, but these books get destroyed when they get scanned. Uh, and they've gotten better. Originally, there was some issue where it wasn't a, like the 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 text with some uh, some books wasn't very clear when it scanned, and some people complained about that. But they've done a much better job of optimizing all of that, and and really the books that you send to them now, I mean, they just they look great. And this is a, this is an important service because a lot of really rare books you can't find. And it doesn't matter what books, a uh, digital bookstore you go to. You can go to Kobo. You can go to Apple, uh, the book, the bookstore for Apple. You can go to Amazon. You can go to Google Books. It doesn't matter. They're not going to have it. Uh, you take a book like the Mana Machine. Nobody has that. In fact, hell, good luck getting that in print. <laughs> and in fact, hell, if you send that to $1 scan, you just lost out on $500. <laughs> uh, Mana Machine, great, great book from the seventies. Really far out thought. Anyway, uh, the only drawback that I feel that it has where, where it's kind of an imperfection, other than, of course, the fact that you're not getting your book back, uh, is that the size of the ebook files are huge. I mean, they, they are massive files. Uh, as to where the average EPUB, I think, runs under 10 megabytes, I mean, you're looking at sometimes these things are going to be hundreds of megabytes Now. That, that normally wouldn't be a problem, especially if you're just going to straight transfer them onto an ebook uh, device like a Kindle or a Kobo Aura or whatever, or, you know, read it on your computer. But when you're talking about if you put it up, you know, cloud storage, <laughs> and we were just talking about not doing cloud storage. If you're talking about putting it up in the cloud storage, like uh, Kindle offers personal documents that you can store online online. Uh, but I think they can't be over 50 meg, but you have like 10 gigs with worth to, to upload. You're not going to be able to upload these books. So that's an issue. Uh, even with, with Google play books, they offer, you can upload a thousand documents, a thousand EPUBs or whatever, PDFs. And, but even they can't be more, I think than 70 megs. So there's always these limitations and pretty much anything you're going to get back from $1 scan is going to break that limitation. So you know, if you don't, as long as you don't mind not having it in the cloud, or at least not in, in an accessible cloud, like you would with the Kindle or with Google Play Books, then you're fine. Then, you know, there's, there's no issue. And certainly, I'd still much rather carry around, you know, multi-hundred megabyte files than I would, you know, a massive paper books. That's not to say that there isn't an importance to paper books, and that is totally up to taste. Okay, uh, I still love the printed page far more than I could ever love, you know, electronic devices, uh, you know, e- ebook readers, e-readers, uh, as, as great as they're getting, as great as they are, and as convenient as they are when I travel. Still love that printed page, but if you don't mind, one dollar scan dot com, that'll put everything there. I love it. Check it out.
0: Hey everybody, it's Stephanie. I am the Sovereign Tech producer. But did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks, commercials for your business. I narrate explainer videos, pretty much any audio project that you can think of. I'm probably willing to work on it or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info, smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech.
1: Who knew you could ride a bike so well?
0: I don't know if I can get us away from that helicopter. Don't you have a gun?
1: Oh, there's never a need for lethal force. I'll handle this.
0: How did you do
1: that? It'll be fine. A quick hack solves everything. Hack Sec. It is time for Hack Sec. That's right. We kept hacker stories. We just kind of shook it up a little. Uh, and hacker stories or hack sec, and what that means is, well, it kind of has a double meaning. There's, you know, sec is in section, it's SEC, or as in security, like InfoSec, you know, or, or whatever. <laughs> And so I, I thought it'd be cool to just kind of rebrand it, but so many people said, no, please leave hacker stories in. So we did get rid of Game Talk. Uh, but hackers, you know, Hacker Stories now, HackSec is still here. And I hope you're enjoying the the little the little movie <laughs> that my intros uh now now provide uh to, to, <laughs> anyway. Uh this week you know, and hacker stories, if you don't know, if you're a new listener and I have plenty of new listeners, thank you for listening in um, there with hacker stories. I like to talk about maybe, you know, hackers get treated as villains often enough in mainstream media, and I want to reverse that. And I want to tell stories about hackers being heroes. And so that's what I do with hacker stories. Uh, the other thing that I like to talk about is security issues. That's why it's HackSec, and the security issues, you know, I mean, they could be talked out through the whole episode, which to some degree they have been in this episode, but I want to actually talk about something, a really interesting topic. And that has to do with the word hack itself. Uh, it's really important to me that the, the conversation with the word hack or hackers uh, is essentially commandeered by people who knows actually what those words mean. Okay. And that's a problem because hackers by definition are not bad people. Crackers are the ones that are, you know, that have malicious intent. Yes. I know what the word cracker can mean elsewhere. Okay. But that's, these are the terms how they've been used for many decades. Okay. And uh, and and I've been my myself, I've been very successful in getting the, you know, in setting the tone of conversations where people will use the word cracker instead of hacker. I recommend the same. I don't care if it comes out as funny. okay? because vilifying heroes of the planet, that being hackers, is not, you know, is is far worse than anything that cracker could mean. So anyway, but let's talk about the word hack here. There's a great write up in Gizmodo by uh, Ashley Feinberg. And uh, it's something. Let's read it. We have a problem. Be you blogger, journalist, tech writer, or common uh, commenter, both racist and otherwise, <laughs> it's time to stop with the gratuitous overuse of hacking, quote unquote. Existence itself is not a hack. It's one thing to use hack to refer to anything crafty or resourceful, appropriate even. You broke into the NSA's database. You tweeted profane homophobic slurs from Arby's Twitter account. You found 101 uses for toilet paper rolls that all start with the letter B. Fine, you hacked it. You hacked the hell out of those toilet paper rolls. I can handle that. Because whether it involved manipulating lines of code or cardboard, every one of those acts required some modicum of skill, resourcefulness even. Deliberate thought and innovation joined forces to accomplish a common goal. Of course, some will say that none of those acts are technically hacking, because some people are pedants. You know, pedantic. The terms hack, hacker, and hacking come with a rich, storied history where the only commonality is true ingenuity. The veriform hackers of the world might see one another as frauds, but at least according to the world's history, they're all equally valid. Unfortunately, hack doesn't stop there. For every article detailing the use of paper clips and roadside lobotomies, uh, see amateur lobotomy hacks, there are five more that use hack to refer to doing absolutely anything at all. Wrapping your laptop cable around the charger is not a hack. That's called using things in the way they were intended. Interacting with other humans vocally isn't a depression hack. That's a conversation. You didn't hack your vacation by wandering onto a construction site. You didn't hack your coworker by sending him a file. And you didn't hack your banana by hanging it from a wall. If only it ended there, because yes, it's horrible, it's awful, it's lazy and glib, but at least those examples are somewhat within the realm of rational thinking. But now, hacking isn't just a thing we do, it's the mere state of existence itself. You're hacking the air as you read this because you are not breathing. Going to the doctor? That's a DNA hack. Continuing to live? That's your environment, literally, yes, literally, hacking your genes. Existing as an animal? You, my beastly friend just hack climate change. So yes, you are your own unique snowflake and you can continue to use the word hack and its variants in all the absurd ways you'd like apps, hacking autism. Sure. Why not? There's links throughout this whole thing. You got to check them out. And yes, you can challenge us with the fact that language evolves. Stop being a linguistic Luddite, but there's a difference between embracing change and being content with a lazy cursory understanding of English language. The word may still, means, may still have some meaning now, but it is deteriorating. Fast. We are well on our way to a world where gravity itself is a hack, hacking your bones until it's time for an energy hack. Close your eyes and hack the light. Hack your dreams. Hack the future by hacking your, your very own tiny human. A baby that hacks your uterus and rehacks the food you've already mouth-hacked. Hack, a hack for baby is a hack for America. Then, finally, one day, we'll have hacked all we can hack here on Earth, and it'll be time for us to hack ourselves deep into the ground. The dirt and the worms will hack our bodily form as we hack our way into a human hack of a compost pile. And then, only then, will we hack no more. So please, if you repaired a bike with a wrench, say so in words that actually mean that. If you made it one more day without dying, great, so did we. You didn't hack your bike. You didn't hack the world. You existed. And if that's not enough for you, we suggest you hack a thesaurus. <laughs> I I thought that was so good. Uh Darren Kitchen, talk about one of the great hackers of the world. Darren Kitchen even uh, uh he shared this everywhere and right? he's like says, Oh, I, I hacked Twitter to share this with you. <laughs> and it's just you know, these things are designed to share links, right? Uh This is important, and it's an interesting subject overall, really, to talk about, because, you know, I was talking about and I've talked about many times on Sovereign Tech that we need to kind of control the, the verbiage and the conversation when it comes to the uninformed of the tech world. I think it's very important. Okay, that's why I went into that little bit of a diatribe of the difference between the Internet and the infrastructure. That allows the Internet to communicate with itself. Language is important. Parsing terms is important. In fact, it's the great libertarian pastime. It's the great anarchist pastime, isn't it? But I do think it's important. I I know there's a lot of people I really respect that talk about stop being a language Nazi. Stop being, you know, all this. It's like language evolves. It changes. It's good that it changes. It keeps it alive. Blah, 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 blah. Fucking blah. Look. (laughs) I don't want to be in the world, okay, where the term pussy means anything more than something I love to eat. Okay? Yes, I said that. I don't think it's cool to be calling people that are quote-unquote weak pussies. I. Yeah, I'm open. Okay, to some degree of yes, language evolves. Blah blah blah. That that's great. We add in new words. I mean, certainly putting the word "fablet" in the dictionary was incredibly important. Uh, you know, I'm I'm so glad that happened. But come on. And I think Philip K. D- I think it was Philip K. Dick that kind of warned about this, where he said that you know who, whoever controls the definition of terms controls society. I think, I think there's truth to that. Okay. And so what we just let words run willy nilly. <laughs> no, there, there are some things that I, I think are, are so you you know, that, that some people are just so good at, please let's, let's let that word mean that. And it can mean that for as long as it, as it matters and hackers more than ever matter to society and to humanity they really do okay so saying oh yeah i hack this i hack that i hack this i hack that oh it does it get it gets crazy now you know i like lifehacker.com as much as anybody else but really they're they're very much to blame uh for this and i don't know it, it's ironic because if hacking everything is so cool then why do hackers have such a bad rap why does, you know, why does so many people, as soon as they hear the term anonymous or, oh, my God, they're going to kill us. You know, I mean, what, what is what is with that? I, th- there does seem to be a, a disconnect there. But I think language really is important. And I, I liked this article very much because it raised a great point in that there is there are some things that have a rich and storied history. OK, I mean, what, what does it mean? You know that that whenever you disagree with the law, now you're called an anarchist. But you still believe in government. I mean, that, that this is really the correlation that, that, that's being made here and that people, I think, to some degree, are really doing. In fact, hell, I know anarchists that run for office. And I go, what? How does that work? Yes, I wish to bring down hierarchies. I, I am an anarchist. I don't believe in government, but I shall join it. What? I'm sure somehow I'm going to lose funding for saying that, but no, I don't get funded. <laughs> <laughs> Only by your gracious donations do I ever get funded. But I mean, the, the, you know, these terms do have a meaning and there are people who take them with exceptional pride. And I can totally see where they feel very much offended when somebody says, oh, yeah, I'm a hacker. I uh, I made us great speakers out of two plastic cups that I cut up. And the hacker, you know, would rightfully say, are you kidding? You know I mean picture you know picture this how about this one how about christians that like worship satan <laughs> that's right we're christians against christ i mean no Christian means something and it's not ever going to mean something else. It's going to mean that you are a follower of Christ. However you necessarily define that part of it. Okay. But it does mean something at the end of the day. Atheists do not call themselves Christians. Oh, but they use cultural Christians. Okay. If really, if you're going to listen to fucking Richard Dawkins about things, you know, a guy that's a 6.8 on his own scale of atheism, please. The word hack has a meaning. Okay? The word hacker has a meaning. And they are positive things. And they are complex things. Let's keep it that way for right now, okay? The world needs it. I'll be back with more of this sovereign tech. Hey, everybody. I really appreciate all of you that listen to Sovereign Tech. I hope you have as much fun listening to the show as I do making it. And hey, if you have a good time listening or learn something from listening, you can donate to the show. Just look in the show notes at SovereignTech.com. There you'll see uh, addresses for Bitcoin, BlackCoin, Next, Litecoin, whole slew of ways to donate to the show. And believe me, I'm not going to complain if you only send two millibits or what equates to two dollars unlike some people but but, you know also you can donate via paypal using the affiliate links on the left hand side of sovereigntech.com. and oh yes please feel free to use those affiliate links you can also help the show by circling me on google plus following me on twitter or following sovereign tech on soundcloud anything you can do to help believe me it helps so i love all of you and thank you so much for listening now let's get back to more sovereign tech Well, looks like we made it out of the country. Good driving. Let's find some place to relax.
0: Somewhere with a nice big bed, I think. Let me pull up an app.
1: Sounds good to me.
0: Software of the Week.
1: It is time for Software of the Week, where I talk about software that I find particularly useful. Sometimes it's terrible. Uh, sometimes it's necessary. I mean, it could be all kinds of things, but software of the week this week is something that you may want to consider considering (laughs) what happened with CryptoKit uh, and what seems to be kind of, kind of a scary overreaching that Google is doing all the way around, even though some people will say, well, yeah, but boy, the EU is really giving it to Google. Aren't they? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I'm not even going to bother talking about that. And so what I want you to consider this week is Firefox. Now, I have talked in the past that I have an overall preference for Chrome, and there are quite a few reasons for that. Some of it being that there are apps like CryptoKit being developed for Chrome and Chrome alone, uh, because for a lot of these apps, it takes a complete rewrite uh, you know, to, to come out with them for, for Firefox. And some of these things are free and the devs aren't making any money. So why would they spend more time than is necessary? And Chrome holds by, you know, far and away the largest uh, percentage of users on planet earth. So it just makes sense to design for Right. It's just like, uh, you know, iOS and Android, most people develop for iOS first because that's where all the money is. And if there's plenty of money on iOS, then they'll talk about, you know, developing on Android. How the system works, but what I want you to re- reconsider, and I'm reconsidering it, is using Firefox. Now, Firefox just recently, in the past month, actually came out with Firefox 29. I think I might have mentioned it on Rapid Fire Stories. And Firefox 29. I don't know why they didn't wait till Firefox 30 or just skip to it. it I mean, it, all arbitrary numbers, of course, but it would have had, I think, a little more meaning for people. But uh, but Firefox 29. Really, you can't actually. I, at first blush, you can't tell the difference between Firefox and Chrome. They look, they all have, you know, the curved, uh, you know, tabs that all rest along the top and all that. Of course, Firefox being open source and infinitely themable uh, and, <laughs> and adjustable, you can switch it back to the, you know, old style, which I, I think I kind of preferred. I I like my, my apps looking a little more 1990s myself for my software. And, but Firefox 29 is really fast, you know, Firefox for Android actually. And of course that's up to the to similar version, not necessarily the same amount of features, but Firefox for Android, uh, blows away Chrome on Android. Uh, the only difference being, of course, the, the reason I use Chrome on Android mainly is because of the ability to access bookmarks very simply There's solutions to that. I'm aware of what they are, but uh, it just—it was very, very simple to set up, and Chrome Remote Desktop is a very handy thing. None of which Firefox has. Um, but Firefox 29 for your PC, Mac, Linux, whatever, is very, very sleek now, and a lot of, a lot of night like the the interface is definitely cleaner. I miss the old one, but very clean interface. A lot of abilities to set stuff up. Uh, the I still think that there's more. Uh, I want overall, like there, there might be some killer apps or extensions in the Chrome terms, they'd be extensions that are still missing from Firefox that aren't there. But overall, Firefox has way more to offer as far as great apps, as far as great extensions, pick your term. Uh, then, or add-ons, right? That, that's the Firefox term is add-ons. They have, they have just a far greater number of add-ons that, that are way more useful than Chrome does. And I mean, this includes a lot of things, the ability to download YouTube videos. Now you can do that to some degree from other software or like, you know, make them into MP3s from various websites like youtube-mp3.org, right? But there's great, great add-ons for Firefox that let you do it all inside the browser. OK, and this is something where, you know, where Google is is showing its hand in that they're really closing in on you don't mess with Google stuff. And if we don't like what you're doing, we pull you. OK, so like there was a great, you know, YouTube video downloading uh, extension for Chrome. It got taken down and pretty much the developers had to eliminate the ability to download. You can download videos from any other website, but they had to eliminate the ability to download from YouTube. Otherwise, it couldn't be in the Chrome store. So Firefox eliminates that issue now. With what happened with CryptoKit, could Mozilla do the same thing? I don't know the answer to that. I would assume as it's being as it is open source that if it could if they could do something along those lines, they wouldn't allow for it to happen. And the XPI which is the the file that installs add-ons is really it sits on its own. Okay, there's a reason there's not a Firefox Uh, you know, like Chromebooks, there's not a Firefox book out there uh, because things work a little bit differently. They still work sort of the same on Chrome. I'm double speaking, (laughs) Uh, but do check out Firefox. Firefox recently had, they did decide to put in some closed source Adobe DRM, which really sucks. But by comparison to what Google's doing these days, I think you should really consider giving Firefox another look and definitely not as Ram intensive as it used to be really fast. It's got a sleek look. Give it a second look if you haven't in a while. Check out Firefox at Firefox.com. I'll be back with more. What does freedom mean? Tune into LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network. A collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. I want to tell you. Oh.
0: Oh, it feels so good. I'm
1: so proud. I know you the climax. Does it get any hotter than that? <laughs> Welcome to The Climax. And, of course, The Climax is, it's pick of the week. But since pick of the week always ended up being so many different things, and while pick of the week you know, is kind of a, a decently descriptive term, I guess, I wanted The Climax to be, you know, a little more exciting and just because a lot of people love this segment of the show. And so I wanted it to be something really open and exciting. And so I chose to call it the climax. Uh, and so I can talk about anything here on the climax. It can be, I could talk about a book. I could talk about a movie. I could talk about a TV show. I could talk about a topic. I could talk about poetry, you name it. I can talk about it. It's my chance of the show to talk about whatever the hell I damn well want to talk about. <laughs> And uh, and you people seem to enjoy it. So thank you so much for that. Uh, You know, I I love getting feedback on the show. Anyway, um, this week I have something that is incredibly exciting, potentially world changing, in my opinion. uh, That I am I am very pleased to share with you. And this week it is a book. And before I get into the actual book that I want to talk about, I want to talk about. Uh, another book and perhaps a group of people before that. And there was a book. Well, first off, no, let's start off with the people in the early 20th century. Okay. Uh, you know, maybe like in the thirties, forties. So not that early, that'd be mid, right? You had a group of people, uh, science fiction fans who would eventually become science fiction authors called the Futurians. Names, I mean, this reads like a who's who of science fiction. Uh, Isaac Asimov, James Blish, uh, I mean, Damon Knight, Cyril Kornbluth, you know, there's just, (laughs) uh, Frederick Pohl, I mean, tons, tons of the greats were in the Futurians. And what this group was, were people thinking, you know, hey, we got all these, you know, words, it was these fans and then authors who thought to themselves, you know, we have all these great ideas that we're thinking about within science fiction. And, we, you know, what if we could apply some of this to society? And they were really they were trying to help the world, you know, I mean, that's that that was kind of their goal. And they called themselves the Futurians. Now, they went through quite a you know a bunch of different members here you know you got 20 30 guys involved in this and they went through a bunch of different ideologies not all of them believed the same thing uh some were communists some were more capitalists some were you know i mean all over the place but it was beautiful you know i mean that these guys you know just big thinkers you know and they didn't have any political positions they were just you know trying to to you know bring out great ideas that perhaps could you know propel humanity forward which Nothing wrong with that, as long as you're not going to use a gun, in my opinion. You know, use the power of the gun, I should say. And the Futurians really have shaped so much, uh, certainly of our entertainment, but so much of, uh, I think, the language we use. We talk about language. I think they are were instrumental in that. It's it's really incredible. And it led to, of course, the second generation of science fiction writers, some of those writers which don't really care for even the word science fiction. They prefer speculative fiction or something like that. And it sort of culminated, I think, what the Futurians laid down, whether this is written down in history or necessarily accurate or not. I think it really, at least subconsciously, led to the publication of perhaps what is the most important fiction book to come out in the past hundred years. And that's Dangerous Visions. Now, it's an anthology, okay? And it's a famous one because, uh, I mean, Harlan Ellison was the main editor on it. Uh, you know, Isaac Asimov did a little bit for it. Robert Silverberg was in it. Of course, Frederick Pohl, who we already mentioned, was a part of it. Brian Aldiss, Philip K. Dick. Uh, I mean, just amazing. Everybody in these stories. I mean, Norman Spinrad, you name it. These stories were so controversial, and that's what Harlan Ellison wanted, okay? And keep in mind, this is coming out in 1967, okay? And Harlan Ellison wanted these these stories to be dangerous. That's why it was called Dangerous Visions. He wanted it to get people on the edge of their seat, to get people thinking, to make them feel uncomfortable. That's what Harlan Ellison always says, right? He says, I don't know what you expect of me as a writer, but I consider my job to make your, eye ble- your eyes bleed, you know, to make you sweat. And I think that's awesome. I, sometimes I try to do that as a podcaster, I guess. And Dangerous Visions is really important. It, it, ge- it genuinely propelled writing forward. Uh, and it propelled, perhaps, culture forward. Because suddenly it became okay to write about sex, and sometimes very far out sex along with other topics, of course. And so I'm really honored. Uh, I have uh, a good friend, Rich Dana, uh, also known as uh, Ricardo Farrell. And uh, he uh, is, it's kind of like Satan. Oh, I have so many names, but (laughs) I love the guy. And he runs Obsolete Press. Now, I've had him on Sovereign Tech in the past a couple times, actually. Great guest. And I hope to have him on again in the future. Uh, I'd really love the guy. And he put together a dangerous visions for the 21st century, in my opinion. And that's why I'm so honored to have a copy of this. He sent me a copy uh, and it's called Anarcho SF and this is volume one. Okay, so there's going to be more. He's already accepting. You can go to obsolete-press.com. I think you can find out info on Or even within the book, uh, you can order the book there. They can get it like maybe pre-order six ninety nine, and then it'll be seven ninety nine outside of the pre-order. Uh, I don't, you know, I got a bit of an advanced copy here, but anyway, I really, really want you to grab this, uh, and I guarantee it will not disappoint. There is something really powerful in, and because I don't know really where it ever existed before where there was an absolute anthology that said, no, this is anarchism. We're only going to talk about anarchism in all of its flavors. Okay. And that's, that's another beautiful thing too, is that Rich made sure that every flavor of, you know, white, red, yellow, purple, pink, green, all those, you know, all the different types of anarchism, green anarchism, uh, you know, anarcho-capitalism, whatever, uh, all get represented. And I think that is fantastic. And he's got great authors here. Not all of this is new. Some of this is a like there's a Philip K Dick story in here uh that's reprinted. There's, there's a couple uh yeah, there's one Philip K Dick story. Uh you've got a, a wonderful work by Mick Farron, who passed away in 2013 literally while he was doing a concert. <laughs> uh you know with with the Deviants. I don't, if you're uh I don't know if you're if if you're not a punk fan, Check it out. I mean, Mick Farron was really talk, talk about a guy that, that, that thought all over the place in a good way. Uh, Really interesting stuff. So, I mean, there's Davi Barker's writing in here, Chris Bird. Uh, I actually, I could have been a part of this. I continually kick myself that I wasn't. I need to get in on volume two uh, because this is incredibly exciting. The stories are great. The stories are things that are needed. There is so, in my opinion, there is so little anarchist writing in the realm of science fiction. You have some things like there's the Great Explosion, uh, which was a great book. There was, um, you know, Ursula K. Le Guin, of course, you know, she's famous for uh, was the Dispossessed, where it was, you know, kind of the moon was an anarchist, quote unquote, paradise. Uh, there, there, there are some others where uh, Goldstein, that that's kind of a, a more oddball book that you can you can find on Amazon uh, by Troy Grice, I think, Troy J. Grice. So there's some anarchist fiction out there. There, there and there's others, you know, that that Rich talks about, actually. But it's so rare and it's so necessary. And Rich is really, you know, making a making a call with with Anarcho SF for you know we need new futurians we need people that can see that future see those social situations like only science fiction authors can and get them thinking in the anarchist tradition and get their works out there this is tremendous this is so important this is active in my opinion this is activism on the highest scale People always ask, what can I do? You know, I don't feel like I don't feel comfortable uh, cop blocking. I don't feel comfortable going to jail. I don't feel comfortable doing all this stuff. You know, what, whatever the case may be. Here's what you can do. You can support these kinds of works like Anarcho SF. You know, go to obsoletepress-press.com. Go ahead and uh, links in the show notes to SovereignTech.com. Grab a copy or you can, you know, write for it. Write as yet our uh, most of our words still kind of hold their meaning so go ahead and write <laughs> with a degree of uh, of confidence and dream that anarchist dream and dream you know write down the, those anarchist futures that can be and i tell you it, it it can be pretty challenging i've thought about it how to write you know an anarchist future say a future without the use of violence that becomes it, it becomes a a complex Uh, thought process to figure out how a society would actually deal with that. Usually you end up kind of cheating and saying, well, okay, we don't use violence, but we encounter the, you know, the, the government or group or whatever that does. And so there, that's how you create a conflict in the story, but you can come up with some wacky stuff and I'd love to read it. I want to see, you know, I hope that anarcho SF goes a hundred volumes. I'd want it to go on forever. It's fantastic. And it, I mean, and you can get it in print. These things are so necessary. I mean, think about it. I've talked about this on sovereign tech. Think about like Thor, the dark world. Okay. Thor two, the movie that came out here, you've got this advanced species. Okay. Advanced medical technologies, advanced travel technologies, all this stuff. They live thousands of years apiece, And anytime someone attacks them, Or anytime there's a problem, what do they do? They instantly go to war or they run to some kind of, you know, violent solution and they still have a king. What? What do they have a king for? I think it's good to explore these things. You know, in fact, uh, actually, Isaac Asimov, we, we mentioned Asimov earlier. He said that all the stories in science fiction can be found in one book. And that book is the Torah. Ironically enough. And to some degree, I think he might be right. But here is the interesting point that seems to get missed on many science fiction authors. Let's say Isaac Asimov was right. What about the book of Judges, where there was no king for the Israelites and there were no governments? It was a completely decentralized society. Why hasn't that been touched? Why hasn't that been written about? And the foolishness that Israelites had for wanting a king. Oh, I think there's a lot of stories to be told, and this stuff can be inspiring. Dangerous Visions literally changed the societal conversation in the 60s. And I think books, compilations, anthologies, series like Anarcho SF can do the same thing. I am so happy that it exists. Go grab a copy, please. And let's all become the new Futurians. Hope you enjoyed the new format. You can email me, SovereignTech at RiseUp.net. Let me know what you think. Harpe Lukem. I'll see you on the other side.
0: You just experienced Sovereign Tech. Go to SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-E-R-Y-N-T-E-C-H dot com and connect with us there. Find links from today's show and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is copy heart. Copying art is an act of love and love is not subject to law. So please share the show however you like. Welcome to the Evolution.